people of Earth, your planet has destroyed. Welcome to Conspiracy, the show, the world's most trusted conspiracy theory podcast, with your hosts, Adam Todd Brown and Olivia Haidar. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Conspiracy the Show. I'm Adam Todd Brown. And I'm Olivia Haidar. <laughs> Keeping Olivia on her toes. I know. How's it going? Oh, it's not bad. It's not bad. I'm kind of in like one of my hyped up liminal states because I'm about to go see Nope later. And so that's like, that's just kind of on my mind at all times. Yeah. Very excited. Yeah, I was going to go see it this evening, but where I live... The timing coincides with the January 6th committee <laughs> probably lying vociferously to the American public in prime time tonight about the events of January 6th, 2021. So yeah, that's... I'm going to watch that horror movie first, and then <laughs> I will go see Nope in the morning. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. Are we going to do an episode on that? I mean... I, we did one back... Like in January 8th, <laughs> I remember we did an episode about the whole thing, but... Yeah, it probably wouldn't be a bad idea. I very uncharacteristically have not been watching most of the January 6th testimony. It just, it seems like such a bummer. It does, and also, like, what what's happening tonight is what I want. I just want right. to hear, like, I want the summary. Yeah. <laughs> Cliff notes, please. <laughs> and also a lot of it coincided with Wimbledon. And I'm a big tennis oh, guy. So sure I enough. I was getting up five o'clock in the morning to watch Rafael Nadal. Of course, you got to get like your Wimble on. Yeah. Before you can <laughs> get my Wimble on at Wimbledon. <laughs> so we are back to talking about Gary Webb. This is yep. we're doing two free episodes in a row because it just made more sense on next week's bonus yeah. episode. We're reviewing the movie version of this story, mm -hmm. which is 2014's Kill the Messenger, starring Jeremy Renner. Unlikely ah. leading man Jeremy Renner, but he's such a good actor. Yeah, Jeremy Renner. You might know him from the Renner app. Yes, uh, exclusively. Well, I know which, him mostly as a musician. I was surprised course, to see I mean, him yeah. take up acting in this film. Exactly. <laughs> We're talking about that next week. As for this week, we're getting back to the Gary Webb story. And now we're really getting into the conspiracy part mm -hmm. of the story, I would argue, which is the mainstream media response to right. this, which was insane. Yes. It was a disservice, basically. Yeah. Like, this was such a huge story, even if Gary Webb didn't exactly nail every detail. Maybe if he employed a little hyperbole, sure. All right. of those things happened. But also the things he's talking about in this story happened. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, we're going to – this is something we'll dig deeper into as we talk about it. But, like, one of the biggest takeaways from the reaction to the Dark Alliance series is that none of the rebuttal pieces really ever investigated his allegations. It was all about criticizing his investigation, not looking into the actual things that he was investigating. Right. As we get into each outlet's individual reaction, there's some cases where there were reporters at that outlet who were like, actually, there, this is something. Yeah. There's like parts to this that we should follow up on. And some of those outlets just ignored that and were like, yep. but would the CIA lie to us? It's like the CIA <laughs> will lie to anyone. All yeah, the time. Absolutely. Never trust the CIA. Speaking of the CIA, we'll link to two different articles in the show notes that both do a really good job covering the media response to this story. One of them is a 1997 article by a writer named Peter Cornblue writing for the Columbia Journalism Review. And that article came out about five months after Dark Alliance. So it's everything is still fresh in American minds when that article is written. And it's right. one of the few, I mean, Columbia Journalism Review, it's not the New York Times, but it's also not nothing. And no. they were one of the first outlets to not only point out that Gary Webb's accusations or allegations in the story were worth exploring, 
but also to kind of take to task the media response to it. Right. So that's an interesting article. Also very interesting, a 2014 article by The Intercept. Yes, which we'll link to both of those. In September 2014, the CIA released a bunch of documents about various operations from the three previous decades. Mm -hmm. And one of those documents, which is the basis of this Intercept article, was a previously unreleased six-page article from the agency's in-house journal called Studies in Intelligence. Just the fact that this thing exists. Yeah. Like, it's hard to think about the CIA like that. They're so secretive, but right. also there's like a fucking popular mechanics for the CIA that you can subscribe to if you work there. I wonder if you can get a subscription <laughs> to this journal. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I wonder how many they've released. Yeah. Because there, there was for a long time this magazine that was basically just a critique of the CIA. It was a former CIA mm-hmm. agent who put it out and... At one point, the CIA just put all of those issues of that magazine up on their website. I, yeah, I remember we talked about that. Which is such a brazen move. But there, yes. there is the one, ep- the, the one issue. Did I call them episodes last time? I don't know. But the, <laughs> there is the one issue of that magazine that they have still kept classified. And I remember I found it on a website on the internet where you can just like, read it yeah. you can check it out for an hour if that gives cool. anyone a hint as to where to find it but i was like should i have been able to find this yeah like, is this legal that's wild but it's also not interesting enough to do an episode about so i don't give a fuck <laughs> yeah i feel like yeah a lot of these things are like they sound like there should be a lot of meat there but it's really just a lot of smoke screen and kind of you know boring shit in there yeah i mean the cia is still a workplace at the end of right. the day there's gonna be like bulletins about potlucks and shit right. like, i don't care <laughs> whose birthday it is oh <clears throat> uh, no you can't you can't talk have birthdays in the newsletter that's classified oh that, well they're birthdays but they're still redacted <laughs> right <Since> three black <laughs> squares slashes in between them. blank <laughs> so this in-house Journal. It's called Studies in Intelligence. The article in it is called Managing a Nightmare, CIA Public Affairs and the Drug Conspiracy Story. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. one of the saddest things it reveals is that the CIA didn't have to do all that much to put this story down. They already had pre-existing relationships. Yeah. The author of the article, Nicholas Dumovich, who was a CIA staffer at the time, calls it, quote, a ground base of already productive relations with journalists, end quote. And that alone really tempered the reaction to this story. There were just some outlets that were like, yeah, I trust the CIA when they say this didn't happen, so we're not going to touch this story. (laughs) Cool. Which, I mean, this is 1996 when this happened. There's no way that's not still happening right no absolutely not no this is i i don't get the sense that anything has changed from that time you know if anything it's gotten worse since 9-11 yeah the two examples i use all the time from recent history that i don't know if we've even covered either of them on this podcast which is weird i know we've talked about them on on pops but there were two different stories one was Almost exclusively reported by Yahoo News and not at all followed up by the New York Times, Washington Post, (laughs) any of them. But it was a story about how the U.S. Postal Inspection Service, one of the things they do now is monitor social media accounts for inflammatory posts or Mm. things that could, you know, turn into a problem. Cool. And people hear that. And the first thing they they think is the U.S. Postal Inspection Service. Who is that? The post office has cops and they're good. They're really good. They are one of our better intelligence agencies. (laughs) And they're one of their main roles now is monitoring your social media. And that was only reported by Yahoo News, which is nuts. Yeah. And then there was another story about how the Department of Defense over the past, I think, like 10 years or so, has been compiling this network of American spies Mm -hmm. that are spying on Americans. Like they're 
setting up fake personas online right. and infiltrating industries. Like, I guarantee some of them are L.A. comics. There's no fucking way <laughs> that's not the case. And there's something like 30,000 of them, which is more undercover operatives than the CIA has. Yeah. And they're all yeah. operating domestically. And that was only reported by Newsweek. Right. How is that not – and it, it's not like it, – it wasn't a Gary Webb thing where they – where Newsweek heard about this from a dude in a prison in Nicaragua. <laughs> right, right, right. Like, they had proof of this. Like, this was just a thing that leaked. Right. And no one touched it but Newsweek. And that, like, again, I say it all the time, they're not necessarily the enemy of the people. <laughs> but the mainstream media also doesn't do us a ton of favors in situations like this. Yeah, it was just, especially when it comes to American intelligence agencies. American just, intelligence agencies huh. or American corporations that spread yes. around a lot of advertising money. Yeah. McDonald's, Basically. for example. McDonald's, the target of the first Me Too action against an American corporation. Remember hearing yeah. about that in the mainstream news? <laughs> no, didn't get reported. No. And like, you know, then we'd have things like... Um, the, the story that, that inspired the movie The Insider about the, you know, the tobacco companies like that. That was like a whole controversy. Like these these things are easy to swing, you yeah. know, like it, it's easy. There's a, there's an, a vested interest in a lot of these institutions to keep certain things from public. Yeah. And it seems like in the case of Gary Webb, when it wasn't just straight up government bootlicking, a lot of the response came down to jealousy yeah because this was the san jose mercury news which i mean san jose is not the smallest city they have no. a, they have a hockey franchise for fuck's sake it's a very large local daily newspaper but it's yeah. still a local daily newspaper it's not the la times it's not you know it's not even the sacramento b it's it's like much smaller yeah and when you think about how it was published the L.A. Times especially got scooped in their own backyard. Like this story yes. happened in L.A., yeah. well, L.A. and San Francisco. And they got scooped. But also, if you were on Jeopardy right now and the question came up, what California news outlet was the first to simultaneously publish a major investigative piece online and in print? Your answer would probably be the L.A. Times if you were guessing. Yeah, or like the New York Times or something like. Uh, I said California, Olivia. Pay oh, attention I'm sorry. to the question. I'm sorry, I'm please. sorry, I'm sorry. This is why you're not going to win in Final Jeopardy. Uh, you're right. We've been That's over actually, this. It's actually exactly why. <laughs> <laughs> but you would think it would be the LA Times that would be on the cutting edge of some shit like of that. Of course. But they got scooped in that way too. It was the San Jose yeah. Mercury News. And yeah, to quote Gary Webb at the time. You don't have to be the New York Times or the Washington Post to bust a national story anymore. Yeah. And this is the first story that proved that. And yep. they did not take kindly to it at all. No. Yeah, no. And and the other big thing is he published his sources online as well, which right. was huge. That nobody had literally no one had ever done that before. And no one really knew how to react to that. And yeah, there just was very quickly a kind of concerted effort to discredit these stories without really much consideration for whether or not they might be true. Right. And you're right that it happened very quickly, but only after these outlets were kind of forced to respond. Yeah. Because the first thing that happens, if you read the Columbia journalism review article the first thing it mentions is that gary webb was really surprised by how little attention this story got at first yeah. like it was as we mentioned on the last episode like african-american media outlets right really latched on to it for yes obvious reasons but beyond that like the washington post new york times things like that they didn't really pay attention to it. They no. were just eventually forced to. Right. Because uh, the people who were most affected by the contents of the story were rightly outraged by what they were reading and kind of made it a bigger deal than it otherwise might have been. Right. 
And so then they finally swing into action. And like we've mentioned, instead of following up on Gary Webb's claims, they just one writer for the L.A. Times described it as the get Gary Webb team. Yes. The L.A. Times assembled a team of 17 people just to look into his reporting, not to look into the claims he reported on. Yeah. Yeah. Which that's is wild. That's insane. That's that like that's kind of hard to even fathom. <laughs> like 17 people all working to discredit this one story is kind of insane. And like most of these outlets like the Washington Post I think was the first place to really push back and you know so much of their claim is like well his sources are like criminals and, and these shitty dudes, like no one who's really like reputable, but all of their sources are the fucking CIA. Yeah, and I don't understand how that when you're talking about a story that is puts the CIA in a negative light. I don't understand how a CIA source has more credibility on this subject. Yeah, it's the same thing that came up in the Ruth Payne episode about right. JFK conspiracy theorists and the people on the Warren Commission. It's like, well, yeah, they're conspiracy theorists, but the people on the Warren Commission are the people that everyone thinks did it. <laughs> like, of course, no one fucking trusts them. Right. And yeah, with the Washington Post, especially, they're one of the outlets where at least one of their reporters was like, there's something here we should look into. Like, right. It's not nothing. I think they even got a couple of like backup sources mm -hmm. and the Washington Post, the like the person in charge of making the decision was like, yeah, but I got the CIA telling me it's not true. Right. And it's like you respect the CIA that much. Well, you know, we got to maintain our relationship with Langley. Like that's like yeah. such a huge, especially in Washington. That's like such a huge meal ticket. And it's like, no, you don't. You should have no relationship That's, with the I mean, CIA. Absolutely. <laughs> like, That's absolutely not. But yeah, that, that was the course of action the Washington Post took. They just went with the CIA denials and they were like, yeah, are you going to believe a bunch of criminals? Or are you going to believe the CIA? And it's like, they're right. all criminals. <laughs> like, that's, that is a trick question, sir. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so the... L.A. Times ends up writing more words about Gary Webb's reporting than Gary Webb wrote about the CIA selling crack in Los Angeles. Yeah. Which is another I mean, huge bummer. Yes, it's an absolute bummer. He definitely, I mean, you know, maybe he should have written more words. I mean, but also like those three articles basically cover cover the whole thing. Yeah. Uh, you know, he basically said all he needs to say. But yeah, no, like, and there, you know, that's the place that had the massive team. And it really was, it just seemed personal for the, especially for the LA Times. Yeah. They really seem like you rarely get the sense of a publication being embarrassed, but that's kind of the sense you get when you read their takedowns. Yeah. And they should have been embarrassed. Yes, <laughs> like, absolutely. Like there's, there's no reason they shouldn't have picked up this story. Cause they didn't give a shit about what was happening in their own town because it was happening to the people that they didn't care about. Yeah. This CIA in-house publication brings up how obviously helpful all of this was because it, again, it's not like it wasn't being covered by anyone. It's just the outlets that mattered weren't right. covering it. And then when they finally did, they covered it from the angle of, Oh, well, this is bullshit. And in some circles, that's still the opinion. I think yeah. that is still the overall opinion is that Gary Webb's reporting, like the story itself was completely discredited. Right. And that's just not true. Like, No, not true at all. If you dig into it, this is a quote from that CIA publication. They're talking about the Washington Post here. Mm -hmm. Because of the Post's national reputation, its articles especially were picked up by other papers helping to create what the Associated Press called a firestorm of reaction against the San Jose Mercury News, end quote. And it also notes that within two months, the entire tone of the coverage of the story changed. Yeah. It went from what Gary Webb reported to Gary Webb. Exactly. And it became all about him. Which is what, again, what happens so often with 
not just with reporters, but with whistleblowers and that sort of thing. Like, it's such a common tactic. Yeah. And as we mentioned before, a lot of this stuff was covered in media outlets previously. Mm -hmm. But it was most significantly covered by that huge Kerry committee investigation. They ultimately released an 1,100-page report about U.S. intelligence looking the other way when it comes to drug trafficking. And that was essentially Gary Webb's story, too. Exactly. But I guess if you're the Washington Post, in this case, it's clearly coming from a more reputable source. Like, one you trust more than Gary Webb. But the response from those three outlets to that story, the Washington Post ran a story on the 20th page that focused mostly on the infighting within the committee. The New York Times ran a very short article on the eighth page of their paper, and the LA Times dedicated 589 words to an 1,100-page report about U.S. intelligence, ignoring drug smuggling operations that were funding what they were doing in South America. Like a word for every other page. (laughs) Yeah. And... Again, like, I think that speaks to those relationships the CIA has with these media outlets. Absolutely. Like, they can explain away why they didn't take Gary Webb's version of the story seriously, but what's the explanation for not taking the Kerry investigation seriously? Right, yeah, absolutely. Like, it was, there was a lot of, I think, vindication within that report. Uh, you know, maybe not explicitly of the exact same situations that Webb was talking about, but it reveals a trend, right? Uh, a, a trend of how the organization works, yeah, that you can easily apply to the Dark Alliance controversy. Yeah, again, these three outlets they wrote over 30,000 words just about Gary Webb's reporting and almost none on these allegations. Yeah, It is a dark moment in American history, and it's an underrated dark moment in American history. Like, Absolutely. This kind of became the government's strategy. Like, It seems mm-hmm. like this is how the government fights news it doesn't want printed. It just goes to the biggest outlets and says something. We don't know what, yeah. but they say something, and these stories don't get covered, whether there's a Gary Webb involved or not. Right. And yeah, it seems like the only reason they had to go after Gary Webb is because the internet was involved and it allowed the story to spread. Exactly. It didn't it let was, the story die. It wasn't contained in the way that something that would have been only on the pages of the San Jose Mercury News, you know, might have been. Yeah. And the Columbia Journalism Review article that we'll link to, again, is from 1997, just a few months after the Dark Alliance stories were published. And it gets more into the specifics of each of the big three outlets' response to that story. It notes that CIA drug trafficking connections were historically a thing. Mainstream outlets treated like a non-story. Go figure. I love... (laughs) Who cares? (laughs) I love this example. They cite... A 1987 press conference where the government's final report on the Iran-Contra affair was released. An investigative journalist stood up and asked the lead investigator if they'd found any connection between the Contras and drug smuggling. And when he did, a New York Times reporter screamed, why don't you ask a serious question? It's like, cool. Fuck you, bub. Seriously, Jesus, what the hell? Like, that's just, I mean, that's just a professional more than anything. Like, come on, man. Yeah. And it's like, how much of a government bootlicker are you? Right? Like, that you would get that mad at someone questioning the CIA? Fuck you. Are you in the CIA, bitch? Was he, like, saying it with, like, a clown nose on and, like, (laughs) squeaky shoes and, like, you know... Maybe it made it seem like a not serious question to ask about <laughs> the CIA's relations to drug dealers. I don't know. Because like, really otherwise, it seems like a pretty straightforward, serious question. Did it in a wacky accent? Right, exactly. Uh, yeah, he, it was actually Borat who uh, <laughs> got up at the press conference. People were like, come on, man. And he's like, no, I'm doing real journalism for Kazakhstan. So it stands to reason that when the mainstream outlets got 
hold of this story, they paid no attention to the drug trafficking connections again. Right. The Washington Post, again, they were the first to respond. Their opinion basically boils down to available information does not support the conclusion that the CIA-backed Contras or Nicaraguans in general played a major role in the emergence of crack as a narcotic in widespread use across the United States. End quote. That is a very weird flex because Gary Webb's article was about crack in California. Right. Nationwide. And it's like, yeah, of course it doesn't support that. This is the whole thing. Like, there's so much putting words in the article's mouth that aren't there, making saying that it's making claims that it's not making. It is very depressing. Available information does not support. Yeah, well, this is new information. Like, you know, this is of course not like this is the first time it's being reported on. So, you know, don't say it in our files. We would know. We're the yeah, our, our CIA liaison <laughs> said that this is all bullshit. And so we trust that guy. We go golfing with him every weekend. And the other thing is, we mentioned this a little bit at the end of the last episode, but the Washington Post and all of the other outlets engaged in the exact kind of thing they were accusing Gary Webb of doing. Right. One of the things Gary Webb was accused of, there. Well, not even accused of this. It's a thing Gary Webb did in the Dark Alliance articles. He leans on a court document about Danilo Blandone that says, quote, he will admit that he was a large scale dealer in cocaine and there is no additional benefit to any defendant to inquire as to the Central Intelligence Agency, end quote. And without any other context, that sounds like someone's being told to not bring up the CIA. Right. But. He left out a few other sentences that make it clear that what the prosecution was saying is that they thought he was bringing that up to, like, scare them away from even going forward with the case. And that, like, you can bring it up all you want. We're still going to go forward with the case. Right. And that's definitely an error in Gary Webb's reporting that is worth calling out. Yeah. But then The Washington Post does the exact same thing. In their reporting... They lean on this one bit of court testimony that makes it seem like Danilo Blandone's drug activity only benefited the Contras up until 1982. Right. Which, for the purposes of Gary Webb's story, does not fit the timeline. And it would legitimately discredit everything Gary Webb said. Right. But there is other evidence available to Gary Webb and anyone else who researched this that Danilo Blandone's drug smuggling actually benefited the Contras deep into 1986. Yeah. And in that case, Gary Webb's story still works. Of course. But the Washington Post just ignored that part and said, see, in court, he said he only helped the Contras until 1982. And that's exactly what they were accusing Gary Webb of doing. Exactly. Yeah. It's that selective, you know, editing. It's really, it's really annoying. (laughs) And yeah, like... There is so much hypocrisy at play in a lot of these rebukes. The Washington Post is also the outlet that coupled their story with an article about why black people are so susceptible to believing conspiracy theories, which, again, speaking to the CIA's point about how helpful that must have been for them. Right. Yeah. They're like, well, we didn't even ask for this. That's great. Thanks, guys. Going above and beyond. Like just throwing that whole racial wedge in there to top it all off. That's just so gross. Gross. The New York Times, they were also pretty dismissive, but they weren't quite as mean about it. Right. But it wouldn't have mattered because their article came out the same day as the L.A. Times article. Right. I think the L.A. Times actually put out a couple. Oh, yeah. Multiple. And again, as mentioned before. They, the L.A. Times writes more words about Gary Webb than he wrote about the CIA, which yeah. is not me criticizing Gary Webb. It's me criticizing them because no. that would stand to reason if a lot of those words were also about the CIA and their crack connections and then stuff about Gary Webb. But no, it was just all Gary Webb and right. none of the CIA stuff. They also fall into those same traps. This is the example we brought up at the end of the last episode, Jesse Katz. He was an LA Times reporter. He's the one who took issue with Gary Webb claiming that 
Ricky Ross was a huge drug dealer who like helped kickstart the crack epidemic. This is one of his quotes about that in his criticisms about Gary Webb. Even on the best day Ricky Ross had, there was way more crack cocaine out there than he could ever control. And he also quoted a narcotics detective as saying this, how the crack epidemic reached that extreme on some level had nothing to do with Ross. Before, Mm -hmm. during, and after his reign, a bewildering roster of other dealers and suppliers helped fuel the crisis. End quote. (laughs) And it's like, no one's saying Rick Ross did it all on his own. Right. No, that's just taking one thing and blowing it totally out of proportion. It it, it also makes the narcotics detective sound like he's describing Batman's rogues gallery. (laughs) A bewildering roster of other dealers. (laughs) suppliers yeah it's like shut up dork we know how drug dealing works what, one of them's like a penguin man and one of them's like a fucking like no they're just like dudes selling crack and people listening you'll know the only point they're taking issue with is how big of a drug dealer rick ross was not whether his connections had connections to the cia none right. of that just no. just the adjectives used to describe rick ross Right. That's yeah. The, the the CIA thing isn't important here. We need to talk about how much crack Rick Ross actually sold. Right. And this is the part that I mentioned at the end of the last episode. And I think this quote deserves being revisited on this one. This was Jesse Katz, that same reporter, two years earlier in 1994, writing about Rick Ross for the L.A. Times. Here goes. If there was an eye to the storm, if there was a criminal mastermind behind Crack's decade-long reign, if there was one outlaw capitalist most responsible for flooding Los Angeles streets with mass-marketed cocaine, his name was Freeway Rick Ross. Ricky Donnell Ross did more than anyone else to democratize Crack. Boosting volume, slashing prices, and spreading disease on a scale never before conceived. End quote. But now two years later, he's like, Ricky Ross wasn't that big. Yeah, I mean, it's very funny that there is such an explicitly, like, direct uh, hypocrisy there. Like, that's just very funny. And with the team of 17 writers, how do you put that quote in that guy's hands? Like, that's sloppy work. On the L.A. Times part, not realizing, oh, the guy that we're having call into question how big of a figure Ricky Ross was just two years ago. He said Rick Ross was the biggest. Just shift him to another position in that 17 man (laughs) roster. Right. Like you fucking no wonder you got scooped on this story. You nincompoops. Cats, he's our only guy who works the the crack ring. He's the only one who can write about Rick Ross. Was he selling uh, crack? Like what? <laughs> what to that? Jesse Katz, to his very, very, very minor credit, <laughs> I would like to say. Yes. I, I just think it needs to be said that in 2013, he's basically one of the only reporters who actually worked on any of these stories that we're talking about, these backlash stories. He's one of the only people who has come forward and been like, yeah, that was probably a little much. He has a quote where he says, as an LA Times reporter, we saw this series in the San Jose Mercury News and kind of wondered how legit it was and kind of put it under a microscope. And we did it in a way that most of us who were involved in it, I think, would look back on that and say it was overkill. We had this huge team of people at the LA Times and kind of piled on to one lone muckraker up in Northern California. We really didn't do anything to advance his work or illuminate much to the story, and it was a really kind of tawdry exercise, and it ruined that reporter's career. Here's the thing. Cool. Like, it's cool that he admits that, but I don't need that motherfucker to confirm that for me. Like that's like, it's obvious from reading what he wrote and of all the people, he's the one who should be apologizing because he most blatantly and intentionally (laughs) did not do his job. Yeah. Like he shouldn't, he should have lost his fucking job over this. I agree. I absolutely, I absolutely agree. I uh, look, I don't think that this statement absolves him of any responsibility whatsoever. I just think like, it's important to note that he is at least 
publicly kind of remorseful about yeah. it. Like, I and, think that's, and a- that's good. But like, you know, he said this in 2013, years after the man died. So the damage had kind of already been done. And I, I think there is a Washington Post reporter out there also, like the one who, sure, yeah. who wanted them to run a story, at least kind of looking into the allegations. I think he's yeah. come out also and been like, man, that was, yeah. a, there, that was a lot, huh? Got right. died. There, there's been a couple, but like not very considering there were 17 people on the L.A. Times yeah. Gary Webb task force. I just picture like, them all standing around with fucking 90s mustaches like in Anchorman going, <laughs> that escalated quickly. <laughs> wow. You killed that guy with the tridents. <laughs> Twice. Twice. That's a with re- in the head. That's, that's a reference. <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's a fun little pop culture reference <laughs> to the end of this episode. fanboy moment for the people who know this story. So that's the first LA Times article. <laughs> God. Their second so brutal. article about Dark Alliance had similar problems. It didn't call any of the connections into question. Those were real. It just took exception yeah. to the dollar amounts they claimed the operation generated. In Dark Alliance, the claim was that Blandone and Menaces sent millions to the Contras. But the LA Times talked to three unnamed associates of Blandone who said the figure was closer to 50,000. But again, they were drawing this based exclusively on the idea that Blandone's connections to the Contras ended in 1982 and ignoring that evidence that it carried on until 86. Right. And they're also like, they're engaging in this same sort of hypocritical shit. We're like, how are these two sources who are close to Blandone and Menaces, how are they a more reputable source than the actual people that, that Gary Webb talked to? Yeah. Like, I don't understand how you're not, they're not making a case for their sources being stronger or they're just relying on their papers, greater reputation. Yeah. They didn't even, that. they didn't even name the sources. no, And in the end, you know, it didn't really matter because they won. Like the big three won this argument. The Mercury News did stick with Gary Webb for a while. Mm -hmm. Executive editor Jerome Sepos wrote a letter to the Washington Post defending the series. They refused to publish it, which that is highly shady. And that's the thing. If you dig deeper into this, there were people at the Washington Post who were like, fuck that. That is not cool. But they still didn't. They never published it, which is nuts. It really is. Like, this is just it's so disrespectful. Yeah. And he also did interviews. Jerome Seppos did interviews with all three outlets and defended the stories. But eventually the pressure got to be too much. And after a bunch of articles where San Jose Mercury basically had one of their reporters investigate the claims made against Gary Webb. Yeah. In terms of his reporting. And then they published that. Right. And eventually they just wrote an article saying that it didn't meet our standards. Right. And again, none of these are investigating the actual claims made within Dark Alliance. They are investigating the claims about Gary Webb made by these other outlets. Right. And what everyone ignored when it came to the San Jose Mercury's response is Gary Webb was a reporter. He wasn't an editor. No. So he wrote this story and then slid it across the table to someone else whose job it was to make sure it met those standards. Exactly. And now here was those same people going, oh, Gary Webb really fucked up and got this in under our nose. And it's like, Uh -uh. no, he didn't. Like, uh, you know how much work he put into this. Like, you signed off on the work. And so much of it comes down to him not having a CIA source. Yeah. And it's like, why would you ask the CIA about this? Absolutely. What are are they going to say? Like, what's there to gain from that other than just having someone say no comment or whatever yeah. the fuck? And then people can just point and go, well, the CIA said it didn't happen. It's like, yeah. of course, they're not going to be like, oh, you got me. Oh, whoops. How'd you find <laughs> that out? Come on. So he eventually resigned from the paper in November 1997. Yeah. And he was never able to get another job 
with a major publication. Yep. And from there, one of the things that happened in response to Dark Alliance is Maxine Waters especially was so vocal about the need for this to be investigated that three different government investigations were launched into this. But also, like, if the New York Times isn't going to be honest about it, you can't really expect the government to be super honest about it either. Right, right. But there were some references in the CIA report that were very interesting. And the CIA report, it seems unlikely that the CIA report would be the most honest. (laughs) But you have to take into account how the CIA works. They're a very secretive outfit. Very compartmentalized. Like, just because you work at the CIA doesn't mean you know what the other person who works at the CIA is doing. So sometimes there are actual investigations that come out of the CIA where they're like, what the fuck, guys? Like, it's a big organization. Not everyone is going to be pure evil. Right. There will be some people who are, you know, like... Like the McCartney of the group, making sure the outlandish stuff gets, you know, tampered down just a little bit. Like once you go right. solo, you can do all the crazy shit. But Exactly. You, every, every CIA team needs a Ringo. <laughs> exactly. And the CIA report does have a lot of very interesting details that, I'm sorry, they do seem like they confirm Gary Webb's story. Yes. The problem is it was released in the thick of the Bill Clinton, Monica Lewinsky scandal. Yeah. So <laughs> classic. Did not care whatsoever. No. But here's some of the things from that CIA report. There's one paragraph that described a cable from the CIA's Directorate of Operations dated October 22nd, 1982, that was all about a prospective meeting between Contra leaders for, quote, an exchange in the United States of narcotics for arms, which then are shipped to Nicaragua. End Mm. quote. And that meeting was going to be attended by two different Contra groups, U.S. arms dealers, and a lieutenant of a drug ring that imported drugs from Latin America to the U.S. West Coast. The lieutenant trafficker was a Contra. The CIA knew this arms for drugs deal was happening. Didn't do anything to stop it. That is from the CIA's own report. And that's essentially what Gary Webb was saying. Yeah. Well, you know, but like, he didn't say this exact thing. He was talking about a different shady operation that the CIA may have been involved in. Yeah. They weren't doing it in 86. It was 82. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, fuck Gary Webb then. You can't, you can't like just say that just because the CIA definitely has done this sort of thing before that it did it in this case. There's also a mention of an incident where the CIA requested that the DEA return $36,000 seized from a member of the Manessi's drug ring, quote, to protect an operational equity, i.e. a Contra support group in which it had an operational interest, end quote. (laughs) And it's like that... What other confirmation do you need? Like, the CIA is never going to get in front of the American public and be like, yes, we did what Gary Webb said. Right. But this is also the CIA getting in front of the American public and going, yeah, we kind of did what Gary Webb said. Right. We did stuff like what Gary (laughs) Webb said. That's the whole thing. Like, that's the weaselly thing that is going on here is just so much of people going, yeah, no, like. Sure, there was a lot of stuff like that with a lot of the same people, but it wasn't this exact thing. It also includes quotes from a DEA agent who says, quote, his attempts to investigate Contra drug smuggling were stymied by DEA management, the U.S. Embassy in El Salvador and the CIA, end Hmm. quote. And then six weeks after that report was published, Inspector General Frederick Hitz testified before a House Congressional Committee and said this about the claims in Dark Alliance. This is kind of a long quote. Bear with me, listeners. Here goes. As I said earlier, we have found no evidence in the course of this lengthy investigation of any conspiracy by CIA or its employees to bring drugs into the United States. However, during the Contra era, CIA worked with a variety of people to support the Contra program. These included CIA assets, pilots who ferried supplies to the Contras, 
as well as Contra officials and others. Let me be frank about what we are finding. There are instances where CIA did not, in an expeditious or consistent fashion, cut off relationships with individuals supporting the Contra program who were alleged to have engaged in drug trafficking activity or to take action to resolve the allegations. End quote. That's literally Gary Webb's story. (laughs) Yep. Is that the CIA knew and didn't do anything. It's not that the CIA intentionally sold crack in the United States. It's just that they knew. So the CIA did kind of confirm it. Yeah. And I don't know how it's not in the notes here, but as far as these claims, like the Washington Post saying, well, there's no available evidence that the CIA worked with drug smugglers. Another thing that comes up in the CIA report is that around the time the Iran-Contra scandal was kicking off, the CIA put a new rule in place where if you were an agent working out in the field, drug smuggling and drug dealing was no longer one of the crimes you had to report that your operatives were engaging in. Like if they murdered someone, yeah. But if they were just selling drugs, for some reason you didn't have to report that anymore. Hmm. So, of course, there are no, I don't know, CIA memos that say working with a drug dealer because they didn't I mean, have like, to tell anyone anymore. Right. Well, and like, I just don't understand the mindset that thinks that those sorts of things would even be documented in a way that would conform to your expectations. Yeah. You know, like you're not going to get that sort of blatant admission of illegal activity. It's all going to be obscured in this sort of double talk, this sort of like very elaborate, like this quote is like very confusing. If you're just kind of reading it and you don't, if and you're not looking for specifically a connection to this scary web thing, it's a lot of talking around the actual issue without actually saying much of substance. It's difficult for me to even think of this as a quote unquote conspiracy. Yeah. Because like there is a conspiracy, obviously, but like it, there's a conspiracy in the same way that conspiracies happen all the time in lots of different ways in that people are, you know, especially in intelligence are being secretive. But like this is it, it's just that we kind of saw a little bit of how the sausage was made and Gary Webb was kind of reporting on it. And that was dangerous to the way the CIA wanted to operate. Yeah, I mean, he reported it in a way that made it matter to people living in the United States. Exactly. Because the stories always ended with cocaine being smuggled into the United States. Again, this is the fucking Miami Vice era. So you're picturing Crockett and Tubbs, you know, hunting down Phil Collins. I don't remember if he was a criminal or a cop on that show, but he was certainly on it. Phil Collins? Phil Collins was very much on Miami Vice. Look it up, everybody. Like, not a regular, but he was on it right. more than once. I, and, I mean, I knew he, I knew his music was. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Gary Webb was the first one who was like, no, 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 no. That's going to black neighborhoods. And right. it is causing the disproportionate incarceration of people of color. And it is wrecking communities of color. And yep. that was Gary Webb's crime, was pointing that part out. I feel like you're looking up Phil Collins on my device. <laughs> <laughs> I am. I am. No, I mean, like, it, it's really the whole Gary Whip thing is just it's so depressing. Like, yeah. And we've already touched on how this story ends. Like, he was never able to get another job with a major publication. He still did investigative yeah. journalism and like he he worked, but. Right. He wasn't able to make the kind of money that working for one of those outlets provided. He right. Lost well, his... it, it, it's the kind of scandal that haunts you as a journalist. Yeah, because the CIA and the mainstream media did such a good job discrediting Gary Webb as a reporter. Yeah. That from then on, if he did get a job with a major publication, you know, most of America was just going to see him as that guy that lied about the CIA. Right, exactly. And it wrecked his life, and he lost everything and eventually took his own life, depending on who you believe. I still think, against all odds, that he probably did kill himself, even though he shot himself twice. Yes. Unlikely, but I guess it happens. It does happen, and 
like, look, I don't know. It's impossible to say. It's one of those things where there's just we're just not going to know for sure. But like, you know, it's suspicious that he fucked with the CIA and then got shot twice in the head and it was ruled a suicide. But also these things do happen. They're not unheard of. And, you know, it's a tragedy. And yeah. Yeah. I still like your theory from last week that maybe that first shot was to troll the CIA and make it look like they killed him. Right. Yeah. That would be very good. I mean, I would like that. I think in retrospect, he maybe could have, like fired a shot into the crown molding or something that missed and then done it. Sure. And then they'd be like, why is that second bullet? I don't know. I'm not questioning (laughs) his methods. It's very sad that Gary Webb, I do think took his own life. My main reasoning for it is again, 2004 is so late into the game for the CIA to decide, all right, now not only are we going to kill this guy, but we're going to break in his house and shoot him in the head twice. Right. And, like, the fact that it was seven years to the day that he resigned from the Mercury News, like, it all points to suicide, and it makes sense, and I I don't necessarily doubt it. It just is that it's just one of those cappers to a story like this, like, that you couldn't really make up. Yeah. that, That this guy who was hounded by the CIA and major news outlets then killed himself by shooting himself twice in the head. Like, that's just one of those weird details that makes it seem a little larger than life. Yeah, it is. It's definitely an odd detail. The only other thing that I think speaks to it being suicide is there are interviews with his family and friends from the time. Yeah. And he was in a very bad place. He was also clinically depressed for most of his adult life. That obviously isn't going to help. So, yeah, yeah, it's, it you know, it seems like the response to this just pushed him over the edge. Very sad ending to this. And, yeah. I mean, I think the only silver lining is I think we've hit a point where most people, I bet if you did a poll of Americans now and we're like, you think the CIA ever sold drugs? I bet that that's, that's going over 50%. Now, yeah, it seems like a fairly mainstream opinion. Yeah. As far as these things go, as far as any political opinion can be mainstream in America in 2022. Like, yeah, it feels like the CIA's involvement in the crack epidemic is basically settled history at this point. Yeah. So, yeah, that's the sad end to the Gary Webb story, as opposed to all those happy peaks in the middle. Right. So it really is like it, it, all of the fallout from this article is such a major bummer. Like, it's yeah. so sad. Like, just from start to finish, it's just the story of a bunch of powerful interest groups dismantling a man's life. And, it, and it's sad. It really is a valid reason to examine your relationship with the mainstream media. Like the New York Times, the LA Times, Washington Post, they seem like the liberal outlets a lot of times. Sure. Like yeah, not, especially since Trump. After Trump, it feels very much like a our side and their side. Right. But it's never been that black and white with no. the American media, especially when it comes to war. Like right. the media is going to side with the government when we go to war. The American I mean, media sides with the government most of the time. I still maintain there's never going to be another Watergate. I swear to God, I just saw a fucking article from David Frum about how fucking great it was that we got into wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. Like, there's so many mainstream reporters who are total hawks and will just wave the flag for whatever military action our government wants to take. And that's not to say no good reporting comes out of those outlets or that every person who works there is a government stooge. Absolutely not. Like there's a lot, like a a lot of great people working at all three of these newspapers that we've been talking about. But you do have to ask yourself why some stories just don't end up getting that mainstream attention when it involves the government. I'll link to the Newsweek and Yahoo News articles I mentioned earlier. Go read them and fucking 
hit me up in the comments if you think that's not a thing that should have been front page New York Times news. It's such a huge scandal. And those outlets you trust so much aren't going to tell you about it. Nope, they're not. It's, you know, there's there's an agenda, you know, and I don't necessarily think that it's a... Oh, yeah, it was about Shinzo Abe. That was the... That was the... Where he was like, Shinzo Abe made the world better, David Frum. Oh, David from shut the fuck up, you fucking war hawk. That's so gross. (laughs) Yeah, it's the same thing with Navalny. Whenever people are like going to bat for Alexei Navalny, it's like that guy is an actual Nazi. (laughs) Right. And you're like, Russia's great hope against Putin. It's like, you want that guy running Russia? Right. Are you out of your fucking minds? It's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. So, yeah, the it's so sad. I think I think the biggest takeaway from all of this is that Phil Collins was on one episode of Miami Vice. <laughs> but he was on. He was. He was. And of course, his, you know, uh, in the air tonight was featured in the pilot episode. It was like a groundbreaking moment in television history. But I'm sorry, he was not a recurring character on Miami. I was like, there's no fucking way. <laughs> <laughs> fine, fine. <laughs> <laughs> and you know what? That does seem like the appropriate place to end. <laughs> On next week's bonus episode, we are going to talk about Kill the Messenger, which yep. is a 2014 film about Gary Webb and the Dark Alliance series. Yep. You can rent it. It's out there. It's very available. It's got a, it is. Got a solid cast, baby. Jer- Jeremy Renner, Mary Elizabeth Winstead. Ooh. Oh, I mean, we're going to get into it in the episode. That's like easily the thing to talk about. But like, yeah, uh, you can rent it. It's it is surprisingly not available on any streaming service or like of the thousands of Amazon channels. It's not available with a free trial there. So you do have to shell out a little bit for it, but it's worth it. It's good. It's good. It's cheap. Um. So, yeah, go go watch it ahead of time if you don't want it spoiled. I mean, we just did two yeah. whole podcast episodes about what it's about, so it's been right. effectively was, spoiled for you. Yeah, I was going to say, like, I think we've already talked for longer than the movie is yeah. about this. So I don't know that there, you, you got to worry about spoilers. We're but. really we're really L.A. Times in this. <laughs> what we're doing. This is way fewer words than the well, no, Actually, it might not be. Yeah. Than the three original Dark Alliance. But we're, you know, we're on his side. I'm on Gary Webb's side. I like he it's it's, it's so it is just so sad. Yeah, I yeah, I think that is probably the actual point to end on is yeah. I believe Gary Webb and Absolutely. I acknowledge that there were some flaws in his reporting. Mm-hmm. I also though think some people went into it looking to discredit claims that he didn't actually make. Right. And a lot of the flaws with the reporting are things that are inherent to the type of subject that he was reporting on. Like, yeah. you know, at a certain point, you have to be a little bit more uh, forgiving of your sources because you only have access to a certain type of source for a story like this. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. That's it. We did it. Do we have anything to plug before we get out of here? Uh, going back. Yes. The Lost Rewatch podcast. The second episode is up on the Patreon and Supercast and in your Spotify apps this week, Thursday. Hell yeah. It's I'm having a a lot of fun with that. Um, It's great. Yeah, it's it's so much fun. Lost is great. Uh, Almost zero actual government malfeasance involved. It's very relaxing. In in Lost? Yes. In doing (laughs) a Lost Rewatch podcast. Very little. They're on this island. And, you know, so like there's not a lot going on with the CIA. Yeah, I haven't looked at a single government document recording. It's pretty pretty great. It's like a vacation. It really is. Really is. So, yeah, check that out. Episodes will be out publicly soon once we're once we're done with the first season. Yeah. And and, and you can follow me on Twitter at Hi There, Hi Dar, if you want to only see retweets of these episodes. (laughs) (laughs) That's it for me right now on on Twitter. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Adam Todd Brown. Follow the show at Conspirapops on Twitter and Instagram. I swear we'll start using it more soon. (laughs) And I think that's it. Let's get out of here. Olivia, say goodbye. Bye.
Goodbye, everybody. We love you. People of Earth, your planet is about to be destroyed.